Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Father, we want to thank you for the ability to gather in the name of your son uh, across many different homes this morning. But Father, we have a common purpose, that is to get to know you better, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the, the gift that's in our hands, your word, through which you can communicate your thoughts and your feelings toward us. So Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be our guide and our instructor. Uh, Lord, I just pray for each of my brothers and sisters on the screen, Lord, that you would speak to each of us uh, specifically through different verses in this chapter. So Lord, we just give you this time. Uh, thank you for being in our fellowship. And it's in your name we ask you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Away we go. <clears throat> Exodus 27. You shall make the altar of Akedia wood, five cubits long, five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. You shall make its pails for removing its ashes, and its shovels, and its basins, and its forks, and its fire pans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall make it uh, for it a grating of network of bronze. And on the net, you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. And shall put it beneath, out of the ledge of the altar, that the net may reach halfway up the altar. You shall make poles for the altar, poles of Acadia wood. Overlay them with bronze. And its poles shall be inserted into the rings, so that the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar when it's carried. You shall make it hollow with planks. As it was shown to you in the mountain, so they shall make it. That's the bronze altar, here's the court. And you shall make the court of the tabernacle. On the south side there shall be hangings for the court, a fine twisted linen, 100 cubits long, from one side, and its pillars shall be 20, with 20 sockets of bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be of silver. And likewise, for the north side and left, there shall be hangings 100 cubits long, and its 20 pillars with their 20 sockets of bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be of silver. And for the width of the court on the west side, shall be hangings of 50 cubits with their 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. And the width of the cord on the east side shall be 50 cubits. The hangings for the one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. And for the other side shall be hangings of 15 cubits 
with their three pillars and their three sockets. And for the gate of the court, there shall be a screen of 20 cubits of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, the work of a weaver with their full pillars and their four sockets. All the pillars around the court shall be furnished with silver bands with their hooks of silver and their sockets of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits and the width 50 throughout and the high five cubits of fine twisted linen and their sockets of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle used in all its service and all its pegs and all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. And this is the oil. And you shall charge the sons of Israel that shall bring to you clean oil of beaten olives for the light to make a lamp burning continually and the tent of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony. Aaron and his son shall keep it in order from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout their generations for the sons of Israel. Okay. <clears throat> so as we look at this, uh, obviously there's three major sections here. Uh, one uh, is the whole idea of the bronze altar. Uh, the second section is about the court uh, and then also the oil. So uh, I wanna unpack those, but before I do that, I wanna kind of set uh, Exodus 27 in its context because it's gonna make a lot more sense uh, that way. So what's very interesting, if you back up uh, in one chapter before in Exodus 25 and verse eight and nine, there's something very, very important that's said here. And it says this, uh, this is God speaking. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them according to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just as you shall construct it. So God basically said to the Israelites, I want you to construct a sanctuary or a tent or a tabernacle. Uh, and he says, I want you to do that because I want to dwell with you. And that's a very powerful fact. Uh, God wants to dwell with his people. The people of Israel, you and I. Uh, he did that in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He dwelled with them. Uh, we're going to see everything went down the tubes, but God wanted to, again, get in the midst of his people, which he did in the tabernacle. And he also wanted to be in the midst of his people later in the temple that was constructed by Solomon. And when that was destroyed, God ultimately wanted to be with us by sending his son, Jesus. The Bible says Jesus tabernacled among us. But it gets even better in that God not only wants to tabernacle with us, he wants to tabernacle in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. So God, <clears throat> circling back here to the tabernacle, God is basically saying, I want to dwell in the midst of you, Israel, but here's an issue. I'm a holy God. So I'm just, just not going to show up in your camp. Uh, there's got to be a certain way for you to approach a holy God to enter into my presence. 
And all the Israelites were not allowed to come into the direct presence of God. Uh, but God allowed the Israelite nation to come to him through the priests. And the priests would come in a very special way. Uh, the Bible's very clear. God said, I'm going to build a tabernacle. And it's through the tabernacle, the priests are going to touch base with me. And if they touch base with me, then the nation will touch base and be connected to me. So to give you a little bit of an idea, when God said, I want to dwell among you, he said, I'm going to dwell among you in the tabernacle. And we need to realize the tabernacle basically is made out of two parts. It's called the first place you would enter walking into the tabernacle. It's called the holy place. And if you kept going forward, you would then enter into the holy of holies. So <clears throat> there's some different things I think we need to see here. Uh, basically, uh, only the priests were allowed to enter into the first compartment of the tabernacle. They came into the holy place and they ministered there right before you would enter into the tabernacle or that first area of the holy place, you first would have to go through uh, a laver, okay? <clears throat> the laver uh, is referred to in Exodus 30, 17. If you have a pencil, you might want to jot down some of these scriptures. And the laver basically was there for the priests. They would wash. Again, they had to be clean to go into the tabernacle. They'd wash their bodies but it's not just that their bodies would be clean. It's symbolic that they had to wash their lives so that they would just not barge into God's presence, but they would have prepared themselves to have a holy lifestyle to enter into that holy tabernacle. <clears throat> so first you hit the laver. You're then walking into the holy place. As you're walking into the holy place, directly to the left is the lampstand. And we're going to see a little bit about that toward the end. If you walked through the holy place to the right, you'd see the tabernacle. I mean, not, not the tabernacle. I'm sorry, the table of showbread. And that represented unity and community. Meanwhile, the lampstand on the other side represented the Holy Spirit. But if you walked into the holy place and went directly forward, you would come to the altar of incense. And the altar of incense represented prayer and worship. So, okay, so again, you go to the laver, you walk in, and if you go straight, eventually you're going to hit the altar of incense, and then there's a veil in front of the altar of incense. And in back of that veil is what's called the Holy of Holy. It's the most sacred place in the tabernacle and the most sacred place for the Jews at that point, because in that place, is where God dwelt. And only the high priest, the chief priest of Israel, could come into that holy of holies only once a year to be able to, to make atonement and to wipe away the sins of Israel in an overall sense. In the holy of holies, there was one piece of furniture, uh, only one piece, and it's the most holy piece of furniture in the entire tabernacle, and that's basically the Ark of the Covenant. And inside that ark, we know, are the Ten Commandments, the law. And over the Ark of the Covenant, there is a mercy seat. And on top of the mercy seat are cherubim, which are like two angelic figures. So <clears throat> I just wanted to give you 
that overall picture, because if not, you're just going to see the bronze altar and say, well, what, you know, what, what's that mean? Okay. So again, there's a tabernacle and before the tabernacle, there is the laver, but here is the piece we're going to look at today. Before you even hit the laver, there is the bronze altar. Okay. And surrounding this whole tabernacle, we'll see this in a little bit too, is a court. So basically, a, a priest would come in, they'd walk through the front door of the court, and then when they'd walk forward, they'd see the bronze altar, they'd see the labor, they'd enter into the tabernacle, the holy place, and then the high priest ultimately into the holy of holies. Oh, I hope you got it. Uh, by the way, this is really cool. If you ever have a chance, there is an exact model of this tabernacle that I just described. The outside of it, all the parts inside are in Lancaster on Route 30. Uh, an exact to scale model of this. And they have a person that really talks about the, the, the whole tabernacle as a whole. They talk about the different pieces and uh, furniture inside. Really cool. So if you have a chance, check that out. It's in Lancaster. So. Let's look at the specifically the bronze altar. This is cool. Uh, 27 1. You shall make the altar of Acadia wood, five cubits long, five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. So if you translate that, um, it's basically seven and a half feet square. Okay. Uh, we know it's four and a half feet high. And we know it's made of Acadia wood, but it's covered over with bronze, okay? Uh, <clears throat> now, to go a little bit further, two, and you shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horn shall be a one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. So picture this box of wood covered over with bronze. On each of the corners, there's horns. Those horns secure the animal that's being brought to be sacrificed. Three, and you shall make its pails for removing its ashes and its shovels and its basins and its forks and its fire pans. And you shall make uh, all of its utensils of bronze. So again, what we're seeing here uh, is there's different articles used on that bronze altar. There is pails, they collect basically uh, the ashes of the animal that's burned. Uh, there's also, as you're looking at that, uh, there are basins that collect the blood of the animal. And then there's other utensils that are used in the sacrifice to be able to kill the animal and to be able to burn it before the Lord. And it goes a little bit for, uh, further about there is a network like an underneath a net that would collect certain things of the animal so it doesn't fall through totally and poles to carry this as it's transported as Israel travels. Okay, so <clears throat> the most important thing in this whole deal on this bronze altar, it's on the altar that animals are sacrificed and are killed. And the most important factor about an animal that's being killed is the idea of the blood of the animal. And we're gonna look at that in detail. That's the, you know, 
I've given you the dimensions of that. Okay, that's neat. But, but what's the whole point of this altar is the animal was sacrificed there on that altar. <clears throat> so basically, uh, the blood was shed. And the blood is very important. In Leviticus 17, 11, it says this. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. God says this, and I've given to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. So God says the important thing of the animal is the blood. Why is the blood so important? Because the blood represents the very life. The blood carries the oxygen throughout the body. Uh, so blood to God represents the very life of that animal. Now, as we go on, and it says, God gave the blood in Leviticus to make atonement for your souls. So atonement, this is a big deal, a big word, atonement. Another way of putting that would be at one mint. Atonement, at one mint. In other words, it's how God brings the mankind back into relationship with himself. How does he do it? Through the blood, okay? Uh, so let's just unpack this a bit. Why does there have to be an atonement? Okay, let's flip back way back, go to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are there. They're having tremendous intimate fellowship with their creator. They're walking with him. They're talking with him. There's a tremendous bond. They're experiencing each other. Uh, they're loving each other. Literally, it's paradise on the planet. <clears throat> That's the deal. Good things. Sin comes into the picture. He tempts Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve fall for it. They're seduced. They rebel and they turn against God. And the lights go out. You might say inside, the, their, their spirit, in a sense, dies. And that beautiful at one mint between God and mankind was broken. And now there's a barrier literally between God and mankind and that barrier the Bible calls sin. So God says, okay, this is not good. And it's not a good picture because we see as we go through the Bible, what sin does, it ravages mankind. It, it's a terrible thing. It eats them up physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. But God says, I'm not going to just leave mankind in their sin. I'm going to do something about it. I want to make atonement. I want to bring mankind back into a relationship with me. That's God's deep, deep desire. And he's very clear. He says, you know, Adam and Eve, and he says it to you and I, there's nothing we can do to bring us back in the relationship with God, no matter how hard we try no matter how good works we do, and we can pile them a mile high, they and themselves can't remove the stain of our sins, of our guilt, of our shame. We're in a mess. The human race is in big trouble. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. God's basically saying, I'm a holy God, I'm a loving God, yeah, and we can emphasize that, but not only is God loving, he's holy, and because God's holy, he's just, and because he's just, he can't wink at sin, he can't scoop it under the rug, pretend it doesn't exist, 
God has to deal with sin head on. And the only way he can do that, he says, the wages of sin is death. So we are in a really bad predicament. But there's a beautiful statement all through the, the Old Testament. God says, I'm going to send a savior. I'm going to send a redeemer. Somebody that can make atonement and put your broken life back together again. And God said, I have a plan. I'm going to send my son into the world. And he's going to bear the judgment and the sin. And he's going to die in the place of mankind. So that, again, God and man can become one. And there's atonement. But here's what's really interesting. God just doesn't drop his son out of the sky without a context and say, well, here he is. What's about God how to prepare the human race to get a handle on the seriousness of sin and the penalty of sin and the fact that sin can be washed away and can be forgiven. So God had to, in a sense, prepare the human race, and he did that through the nation of Israel. And he prepared the human race for Christ's death on the cross by allowing the Israelites to have this sacrificial system. The Israelites were very clearly shown that they were sinners. They've done something wrong. And God said, I'm holy. I want to dwell in your midst, <coughs> but I can't do it if there's sin all over the place. So God designed this system and basically showed the Israelites how they could get back in relationship. And this is really interesting. Catch this. You might write this first up. Uh, this is Leviticus chapter 4. And if you read this, this is verse 27. This is what happened. If you were. Well, it looks like Pastor John has frozen. Uh, Kathy's wife is also frozen, so the internet must have up. There's Kathy moving. That's a good thing. Pastor John, we lost him completely. That's for Let's his sake. a minute. Mary's back. Maybe. Maybe not. <clears throat> Maybe Kathy has the uh, technological power to pull him back. Wait a minute here. There he is. I'm getting unmuted. Okay. Can you hear me? Right. Yeah, you're back, sir. Okay. <clears throat> Good okay. recovery. Good. Good recovery. Praise the Lord. Okay. Now, now I just got to figure where I was at. Okay. Um, so basically, that Israelite would bring, uh, we're in Leviticus chapter four. He's going to bring, uh, verse 28, this animal, 29. He shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, slay the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering. And all the rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar. Get this. This is heavy duty. You messed up. You sinned as an Israelite. You brought your animal. You walked through the court. You came to the priest who's by the bronze altar. You would then take your animal uh, and you literally would kill your animal, okay? Blood would be shed. The priest would collect the blood 
in a basin and pour that out at the base of the altar and the animal would be burnt. As an Israelite, you were reminded that sin was a terrible thing. Your sin caused that animal to be slain and that animal to have its blood poured out. I mean, just the, 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 the power of the, the, the picture, look at what I did. My, that animal had to die for me so I could have atonement at one with, with God. Heavy stuff. And then basically, uh, that animal, all those animals, millions of animals that were slayed by Israelites all through the years, all those animals were a picture that someday the ultimate sacrifice is going to come, Jesus. Okay? Uh, we see this. It's prophesied by Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 and 6, it says about Christ, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Predicted, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for you and I. And then we get another neat verse, uh, John 1, 29. John the Baptist says about Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What an amazing thing. God said to the Israelites, I'm giving you a picture of ultimate redemption. There's a Messiah coming, and that Messiah is going to die, and his blood's going to be shed, so you could have at one minute and be restored back into fellowship with me. And what's an amazing journey to me, and this is the big deal, I think, is this idea of blood. Blood, in a sense, is repulsive. Most of us don't like to see blood all over the... It, I mean, it's, it's gory, but it, it's, it's gutsy. What God says, blood is the ultimate thing that needs to be shed because it represents life. So I want to give you a bundle of verses here. Uh, and I'm just going to read some of these through. You might jot them down because the theme of blood runs all through the Old Testament and all through the New Testament, a common theme that God honors the blood. So if you look at, uh, I'm just going to read some of these. Uh, first, first John chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, first, he says this, and this is loved. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means basically the sacrifice. God loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. But let me start giving you some of the verses here on the blood. Uh, if you look at Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 25, it says this. Whom God displayed publicly, referring to Jesus, as a propitiation, a sacrifice, what? In his blood through faith. How is the propitiation, how the sacrifice, it says in his blood, in the blood of Jesus. Okay, if you go a little bit further, uh, Romans 5, 9. I'm all over the place here. Romans 5, 9 says this. Much more than having now been how? Justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God. Justified how? By his blood. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. In him, in Christ, 
We have redemption. How? Through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians, another verse, 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, that's the Gentiles, have been brought near. How are we brought near to God? Brought near how? By the blood of Jesus. Okay, another one, Colossians. Colossians <clears throat> chapter 1, 19 and 20. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace. How does he make peace with you and I? Having made peace through the blood of his cross. The theme of the blood, it goes all through the Bible. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. And when Christ appeared as a high priest for the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. So the tabernacle on the earth was only a picture of what the tabernacle is in heaven. He entered a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. And how did Jesus enter? Not through the blood of goats and calves, but get this, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, and he obtained eternal redemption for us. How did Jesus enter? Even Jesus carried his own blood. That's Hebrews 9.11. Let me give you another couple here. First Peter. First Peter 1.18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, how were they basically redeemed? But with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And then there's another one, 1 John 1 and verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he, God himself, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Blood all through Old Testament, all the way through the new, it's through the blood that God brings atonement for our souls. And I grew up in the Methodist tradition. And one of the sing songs that we sang uh, was this song. And I like it. It has a great beat. I won't sing it. Uh, but here's the, 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 the name of the hymn. Nothing but the blood. Has anybody ever heard that song? Powerful. Nothing but the blood. Here we are. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me bright as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Second verse. For my pardon, this I see. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Last verse. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is my all, my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That bronze altar, folks, it, it says it all. Because on that altar, animals were sacrificed. And on the cross, 
the ultimate sacrifice is made to put your life, my life back together and to bring us back into a oneness and in fellowship with the Lord. An amazing, amazing story that God gives us through that, just that piece of furniture, the bronze altar. And real quick, uh, if you look at 27, 9 <clears throat> through 19, we look at the court. And basically the court is just the surrounding area that protects the tabernacle from all the Israelites outside. It, it kind of made that, that, that holy space around the tabernacle. We're told the length of the court uh, was basically 150 feet. If you would go back, the length of that court was 150 feet and the width, uh, both in the front and the back was 50 feet. I mean, 50 cubits or 75 feet. And the height uh, was of the, the, the curtains that kind of cut off the Israelites from the actual tabernacle, that, that court was surrounded by curtains to kind of make it a private spot. And they were seven and a half feet high. Again, you gotta go somewhere to Lancaster and see the reproduction. Uh, it'll just make it so real because all the details are right there. Uh, and then the last little chunk that I wanna talk about here uh, is on 20. Uh, and you shall charge the sons of Israel that they shall bring you clear oil of beaten olives for the light to make a lamp burning continually in the tent of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony. Aaron and his son shall keep it in order from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a perpetual statute through all their generations for the sons of Israel. Okay, that lamp is literally the lampstand. Remember, you walk into the holy place directly to the left was the lampstand. That lampstand was fueled by oil. And if we're very uh, clear as we look at the Bible, sometimes oil just means oil. Yeah, oil had to be in the lamp to make it burn. But very clearly, oil represents the person of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was very clear. He died, okay? We tell you, he washed away our sin. But he washed away our sin. Why? To bring us back into union with God. And how does God establish that union in us? He does that through the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in John 16, 7, right at the last supper before he was going to die. He says, but I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And then John 14 and verse 16 uh, Jesus made another statement. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him, the spirit, because he abides with you. He is with the disciples through Jesus, the Holy Spirit. But he will be in you. The Holy Spirit is going to come and live within them. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So that's the good news, that that lampstand represents the person of the spirit. And that spirit is so important because he's the one that brings God and lands God right where we live. That's where the tire meets the road. The father reaches us through the son. The son reaches us out through the Holy Spirit. 
And if you do a study of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is unbelievable. He's the one that moved upon the face of the waters in Genesis and made creation happen. He threw the light switch. He was the one that spoke through the prophets. That was the Holy Spirit working through their minds and their hearts. The Holy Spirit was the one that gave Samson the strength to do unbelievable things. The Holy Spirit was literally the key to Jesus' ministry. Jesus is very clear. If you read between the lines, and it's, it may be even more blatant than that, Jesus is basically saying, I can only do what I could do because God the Father dwells in me through the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit shows me what to do, I do it and I carry it out, not in my strength, but in the strength of the Spirit. And not only was the Holy Spirit the key to Jesus' ministry, he was the key to the early church. If you look at the book of Acts, the word Holy Spirit comes up over and over and over and over and over. He was the key to the power of the early church. And guess what, folks? The Holy Spirit was not just the key to Jesus. He's not just the key to the early church. He's the key to you and to I. It's only through the Holy Spirit that we have the ability to make a difference and proclaim the gospel with power. He is center stage. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 14, the Bible says that we can fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We can build a relationship with him. Many of us have built a relationship with God the Father. Okay, we pray, you know, our Father who art in heaven. Uh, I'm sure many of us have built a relationship with Jesus. Okay, he's the good shepherd and we talk to him like Psalm 23. But the Bible says that we're encouraged not just to have fellowship with the Father, not just with the Son, we're encouraged to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit as well. That's really cool. You can begin to build a rapport with the person that lives within you. And the Bible says, real quick as I'm wrapping up, don't quench the Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. Walk in a way that would honor him. Don't disturb him. Don't cause the Holy Spirit of pain. Live with him in a holy fashion. And the Bible says, not only don't grieve him, it says, don't quench him. When the Holy Spirit wants to move, when he gives you a nudge, respond to it, be obedient to it. When he causes you to feel this thing, you, I need to do this, I need to do that. Don't quench it, don't put the fire out. When he moves, move with him. And the most comprehensive statement is in Ephesians 5.18. It says, be filled with the Spirit, meaning let the Holy Spirit who lives in you have control of your life. Let him, let him call the shots. I see no end to this thing. I have just been captivated by the Holy Spirit the last number of years because I find that he is the one that brings life, makes Jesus real. He's the one that helps me to be able to learn uh, and open the Bible to me. He's the one that guides me. He's the one that helps me pray. He's the one that would empower me to witness. He literally is what brings us the life of the Father and the Son. So thank God for the brazen altar. Jesus died there for us. Praise God for the Holy Spirit that has come and live in us and through us. And let's just be open. Let's see what he can do today. What an amazing adventure. The Holy Spirit blows where he wills. And as we go with him, we can see tremendous things happen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you today for 
uh, the brazen altar that's not just an, a brazen altar of bronze. It's, it's what's on there, the animal sacrifices, but it's not even that, Lord. It points so clearly to you, Jesus, that you died not on a brazen altar, but you died on a cross to bring it at one moment, to bring atonement, to make us back into relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, for that, that piece of furniture that speaks. And we thank you, Lord, for the oil that flows through the lampstand that represents the power of your spirit working in us and through us. So I just pray, Lord, uh, just be with each of my brothers and sisters. Lord, help us to uh, appreciate even more so the great salvation that you've given us. Help us to appreciate in a greater way, Lord, the ministry of your spirit as he works in us and through us. So, Father, we thank you and we give you this day. May you be glorified in and through each of our lives. And it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, folks. Enjoy the rest of your journey in Exodus.